turn to John chapter 14. Put a finger there and let me explain to you why we're going to a different passage for a few weeks. I want to lay for you over the next nine weeks a foundation for uh, understanding more about the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to take 10 weeks, this week and nine more, and uh, engage in a series called The Holy Spirit, God's Presence and Power with Us. And here's why. <clears throat> in the last three chapters of Ephesians, chapters four, five, and six, the Holy Spirit's mentioned seven times. He's mentioned seven times in the first three chapters as well. So a total of 14 times in the book of Ephesians. As I was kind of preparing for the next set of chapters, it just, uh, I would say the Holy Spirit nudged me to say, are, are you ready to, to kind of grapple with what it looks like for the Holy Spirit to help you walk out your union with Christ? You see, as chapter four through six unfolds, what we find really is the phrase walking with Christ becomes a predominant phrase. And what I think is happening in Ephesians is this. <clears throat> we see our position in Christ, our union with Christ being lived out practically, and that is through the Holy Spirit's power. And, and I just, in all transparency, since I don't know if we're ready to really hear all the powerful ways the Holy Spirit's going to show up in our life. And I just thought maybe we should take some, some time, kind of have a half time, go to the locker room, and let's just investigate and understand more about the Holy Spirit in the, uh, in the biblical narrative and get a, a better grasp on, okay, who he is, how he works, how he did work, how he is working, and so I just took that from the Lord. I didn't analyze it to death. I just said, Lord, yes, I hear that. I talked to our elders about it. They gave a green light to it. And so we're going to pause now, kind of like a halftime. And we're going to take about 10 weeks. And we're going to look deeply and closely at the Holy Spirit of God. So that when we jump back to Ephesians 4, it won't surprise us when we see, oh, this is what the Holy Spirit does. So we're, that's what we're headed for. Ten weeks of seeing about the Holy Spirit from a, in a general way so that we can understand more specifically how he's instrumental to our walk. Just as a foretaste, Ephesians 4 is about the Holy Spirit gifting the church. Chapter 6 is about the Holy Spirit equipping the Christian for spiritual warfare. Chapter 5 is about how the Spirit uh, helps us dress appropriately spiritually, putting on and putting off. And so there's just a, a, a range of things that we're going to see in those last three chapters that are dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And I don't want you surprised by that or thinking, what? How's that work? Let's take some time. Let's understand the Holy Spirit as much as we can over these next 10 weeks. And then we'll go back on the field and we'll tackle Ephesians 4 through 6. Deal? So that's what we're going to do, whether you deal or not, we're going to do it anyway. So I got the elder's green light. We're good to go on that, right? Uh, it, it's somewhat what you'd call a biblical theology 
series. In other words, we're going to be looking at specific passages each week and kind of get an understanding of how he has worked, how he is working. We'll look at a pre-Pentecost aspect, then a post-Pentecost aspect. This week, though, I want to look at some things that are always true about the Holy Spirit. Regardless of um, Pentecost, pre or post, or the age or economy, how has God always worked through his Holy Spirit. We're going to see that today. And I want to begin by looking at what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in John 14, 16, and 17. Look at these verses with me. Before I read them, just one more introductory thought. We're in John 14. The the greatest bulk of teaching on the Holy Spirit in the Bible is John 14 and John 16. It's the greatest lengthy portion Interestingly, right around John 14 and 16 is John 15 and 17. That's some good math there. Uh, And what those chapters are about, especially John 15, is abiding in Christ. In other words, it's Christ talking about union with himself. So don't you think it's interesting that Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit and union with him in the same time frame? So did Paul. So we're going to be doing that, looking at the Holy Spirit's ministry and work and personage right in line with our understanding of what it means to be in union with Christ. So here's John 16, excuse me, John 14, verses 16 and 17. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. A simple statement or two about the Holy Spirit from Jesus, the Son of God. Now, doctrinally and technically, this is known as pneumatology. Say that big word with me. Pneumatology. It's just a $10 word. Make you sound real smart. It just means the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to do in this series is unpack the way the Holy Spirit has worked and is working, like I said, both pre-Pentecost and Pentecost. Today, I want to show you three things that are always true about the Holy Spirit. So grab your pen, a piece of paper, and note these three things that are always true about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to draw them from this text. First of all, the Holy Spirit is God. Just mark it down. Stand on this. The Holy Spirit is God. I draw this from a single word in this text. There are other places that point to this as well. But in this text, he says that the Father is going to give another helper. The word another means of the same kind and essence. So though there is a different role or function of the Holy Spirit, he's of the same essence as God. This is a reference to the deity of the Holy Spirit. You couple this with Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, where Peter says to Ananias and Sapphira in confronting them about their deception, he says to them, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. And in the next breath, he says, you have lied to God. So Peter knew the Holy Spirit was God. Here's a reference to his deity as well. So just understand, biblically speaking, the Holy Spirit is God. In the Old Testament, there are several Psalms that Um, ascribe to the Holy Spirit the attributes of God. 
And so a, a look at these verses show us the Holy Spirit is God. And you may think, well, Todd, that's pretty basic. We believe that. That seems like it's ele elementary. But not all actually believe that. There's a group, they've been around since about the second or third century, and they believe in modalism. So they're known as modalists. In fact, um, some Pentecostals would ascribe to modalism. The specific branch would be oneness Pentecostalism. Uh, and what modalists believe is this, that there is one God, but that it doesn't exist in three persons. He just kind of shows up in various forms as he wants to. So they would deny the Trinity, one God in three persons. They would just say, well, God kind of took the form uh, in this way, he took the mode of this. That's why it's called modalism. It's like God just shows up in different modes or forms as he wants to. There's really just, uh, there's, there's not three persons in the Godhead as the Bible describes. And so this is just outright heresy. They believe that about, uh, that Jesus Christ, you know, just was a form, kind of a mode of God for a time. And you may think that's not a big deal, but I would remind you, John said, especially concerning Jesus, that no one can actually belong to God if he does not believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. So believing that there are three persons in the one Godhead is very essential to your eternal destiny. The Trinity is a core, uh, closed-fisted doctrine. You can't waver on this. And so let's just establish again where we land doctrinally, theologically, and where we want you to put your feet. The Holy Spirit is God. Now, he's not the Father. He's not the Son. The Father's not the Son. The Son's not the Spirit. There's three distinct persons, but there is one God. So that's mind-blowing. Can we just admit that? Mind-boggling, almost impossible to explain with human words. But aren't you glad that your God is impossible to explain? And so we hold to this doctrine as taught here as well as in Acts and other places that the Holy Spirit is God. Now here's why this matters on a practical level. I suspect, and I've seen this happen in church, if I were to say to you all or different sections, we're going to have 10 weeks and we're going to have a series on God. It'd be like, yeah, let's go. But sometimes when I say, we're going to spend 10 weeks on the Holy Spirit, folks are like, hey, be careful, Todd. Now watch out. They want to put up guardrails. And, and I kind of hear that. We all have our backgrounds and our preferences and our experiences. But you realize what we're doing for the next 10 weeks? We're actually in a series about God. So do not minimize the Holy Spirit. Don't forget about the Holy Spirit. For 10 weeks, we're going to be studying investigating, discovering God, the Holy Spirit. I'm thrilled about this. I'm excited. I've got so much to learn and, and so many areas to grow in this. And so I'm thrilled to journey with you in a series about God. Notice the second thing from these simple verses that tell us what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. And that's this, the Holy Spirit is a person. In the text, he's given masculine pronouns. You notice that? 
the word him is used a couple of times. And this is connected to what I would call relational verbs. Look at the word know, uh, the word dwell. In other words, these are things that a being does. Now, I want to be fully, authentically transparent with you about the pronoun him and the word spirit. The word spirit is in um, a, a neuter form. In other words, it's not masculine or feminine. And so for that reason, some religious systems say the Holy Spirit is a force, a move. It's an it, but that's not true. Because in every case where the Holy Spirit's referenced by pronoun, it's always masculine. He's given God's character traits and attributes. You look at John 15, 26, the same thing. The word him is used there. And you think about all of these verbs that relate to this, uh, what he does in us and for us. And the clear biblical teaching is that the Holy Spirit is a person. It's, excuse me, he's a being. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe this. Some of you may know some Jehovah's Witnesses. They have actually gone through their translation of the Bible and they've taken out all masculine references to the Holy Spirit and they've replaced it with an it. And they've relegated the third person of the Trinity to just some kind of like, you know, dynamic force or some kind of like, uh, you know, mysterious power. But the Holy Spirit is God and the Holy Spirit is a person. As a person, he relates to you in the following ways. I'll just mention a few of them. And notice how this is very, uh, this is, uh, characteristic of, of a being, of a person. The Holy Spirit illuminates and reveals, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The Holy Spirit seals, Ephesians 1. The Holy Spirit can be quenched, 1 Thessalonians. The Holy Spirit can be grieved, Ephesians chapter 4. The Holy Spirit gives gifts, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He intercedes for saints, Romans 8. He helps with their infirmities and prays for them. He bears fruit in Galatians 5. These are not static words of some it or some force. These are being relational, personal words. So do you see the Holy Spirit is God and is a person? And by the way, as you look at what the Holy Spirit does for and in believers, you realize this is the power of God in the believer's life. I mean, think about the last thing I mentioned. The Holy Spirit produces fruit in you. Here's what he doesn't do. He doesn't show up in your life, Chad, and attach something on the outside. He doesn't duct tape external works to your life so that you look like a Christian. The Holy Spirit comes into your life and changes your nature. He plants the seed of God in you. He makes you a child of God. And then from the inside out, he bears fruit. That's why the word fruit is connected to the word spirit. But when it comes to the works of the flesh, we never see the word fruit. We only see the word work. The spirit is the power of God in us from the inside out producing fruit. It's, it's like if you had a tree in your front yard. Let's just say it's um, you know, some kind of blossoming tree or a maple tree. I don't know. But you wish you had an orange tree. So you go buy oranges and you duct tape them to your tree. 
You can say all day long, I love my orange tree, but guess what you don't have? You don't have an orange tree. And sometimes people are that way in the church. We attach good works. We duct tape deeds. We think we're looking like a Christian, but there is no Christian unless the Holy Spirit has breathed upon them and moved inside and changed their nature. And only God can do that. He does that through the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is a, is a person. He's the third person of the Trinity, thus he is God. And so the third thing you must know about the Holy Spirit is, and this is more or less a, a summary now of the first two and some things we've talked about, but I want to state it in a succinct fashion. In fact, this will kind of be our, our, our take-home truth today to help us understand like the, the beginning point of the Holy Spirit, that really the Holy Spirit is and always has been the personal presence and power of God. That's what's going on with the Holy Spirit. It's the personal presence and power of God. Now, when I use the word personal there, I'm not actually thinking of you. So, don't, so I want you to hear this well. I'm not thinking, oh, good. Uh, you know, Justin gets his own little personal spiritual power pack. He's got his own supernatural battery, the Holy Spirit, and Justin can use it every once. I mean, this is so cool that God just gave Justin just his own little thing to kind of make sure he's got enough power to live the Christian life. Now, I'm not talking about that kind of person. I'm not trying to individualize Christianity in that way. I'm actually speaking and using the word personal in relation to God's intention. Because in the Holy Spirit, God gets up close and personal. He has sent the Holy Spirit to live in those who believe and dwell with them. That's astounding. The God of the universe, the God of the heavens, the creator of everything, the one who sent his son to be our sacrifice, the one to whom all of history is aimed, the one who will receive all glory and majesty and dominion and authority, that God has sent himself in the Holy Spirit to live in you. Wow. That's how personal and, and up close he wants to be with you. Hallelujah, church. Amen. When he does, it's his presence and power in you. In fact, a short way to describe this is simply what is often said in theological circles. Uh, it's said like this, that the Holy Spirit mediates the presence and power of God to the believer. In other words, what is the access point for God's presence and power? It's the Holy Spirit. He's what mediates the presence and power of God. Moreover, there's some other words that I think are used in these circles and I think in churches to talk about this. And there are words that we don't say a lot because sometimes language can get fuzzy around the Holy Spirit. I'll just be really frank with you and tell you that sometimes we, we, it's hard to know how to describe him and talk about him and, and, and his presence and power. But here are two words that I think are, have been helpful to me. The Holy Spirit is the active and manifest presence and power of God. And that's juxtaposed against the omnipresence of God. So God is always holding everything in view. In that sense, we say God is always present. 
There's nothing hidden from his sight. God always is. So there's no real past or present with God. He just is always current in. He's, he just is. He knows everything, sees everything. The Holy Spirit is that active manifest presence when God's power goes on display. So both are true and both are happening when God's power is visibly seen. That's the Holy Spirit showing us the active or manifest presence of God. We see an example of this in 1 Corinthians 14. And I've mentioned this verse a lot because it's it's one of my favorite verses. And in fact, I think those, those four chapters are some of my favorite chapters, 1 Corinthians 11 through 14, in which we see the Holy Spirit distributing gifts to the church. 1 Corinthians 14, prophecy, um, interpreted tongues, and other varieties of gifts that are mentioned there. And then as the Holy Spirit distributes these gifts, Paul then says that when they're done orderly and correctly and biblically, if an outsider pops in and sees that occurring, he sees God's power and presence visibly on display He says this, wow, God is among you. Isn't that interesting? The outsider doesn't say, there's the Holy Spirit. Now, was the Holy Spirit the mediation of those gifts, of that power, of that presence? Yes, but what does the outsider say? God is among you. So there's an equating there of, yes, the Holy Spirit and God, but also there's an indication of what the Holy Spirit's ministry is. The Holy Spirit's job, his function, his ministry is to always point vertically, to highlight Jesus and God, to give maximum glory to the Father and the Son. You just sang this earlier. Show me the Father, show me the Son. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. And 1 Corinthians 14 is one of those places where we see the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit, meaning the power and presence of God in the church. And as it's correctly, biblically, actively, visibly used, those on the outside look in and say, man, God is among you. And that is always the need of the moment. Church, hear me well. That is always the need of the moment. God among you. I mean, would you really want anything else? Would you want to be somewhere where God's not? Would you want to be without his power and presence? The need of the moment is always God among us. And that is the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit of God. And all candor and vulnerable transparency, that is what I'm hungry for. I can't fully explain it, and I know my words fail me, and human language is not adequate. And if it is, I don't know how to use it the best. But I'm hungry for more of God's presence and power in my life and in our church. And that said, without apology, I don't think you want me to apologize for that, but I suspect there'll be some criticism from that statement. 
Maybe not from someone in this room, maybe those who are watching, maybe some would email me and say, you just want more, uh, you're just trying to manufacture a feeling. You're just trying to cause a certain emotion. You're just trying to create perhaps something that looks like something on the surface or an image. And all I can say to you is, you can tear my chest cavity open and look at my heart. None of that's present. In fact, I will be so vulnerable with you and tell you, I don't really have an end game in mind. I don't have something I'm after. I have no agenda. I'm not trying to change you. I'm not trying to change the church. I'm asking God to change me by, by saying to him, God, I'm hungry for more of your presence and power. I know theologically we've got his presence. I realize that. You're right. And we have his power. But can I just admit to you, I want to see people who are physically sick healed. I do. God says we can pray to that end and that we should ask him to heal. So I'm going to pray and ask God. I'm hungry to see that happen. Is that all right? I'm hungry to see hearts revived, marriages restored, more people sent to unreached places, more churches planted. I'm hungry for more of that. I don't know that I necessarily have a metric or number I'm not trying to say I want to see greater volumes. It may be that we need to see more endurance for the persecution that's ahead. We may find a leaner church as a stronger church. It may be that God's going to winnow our numbers. I don't know. I have no idea what I'm asking that. I'm just telling you this morning. I'm hungry for more of God's presence and power in active, manifest ways. I am. That's not a new hunger for me. In fact, I can recall, I don't want to say exactly, I can recall pretty close to exactly where I was when God lit that hunger in my heart. Uh, it was about the year 2001, maybe 2000, in that range. We were camping. I think it was the Lake of the Ozarks. I'm not sure. Brandon might remember that trip. <laughs> I had some downtime and I'd been reading 1 Corinthians 11 through 14 and, and just really pricked in my pastoral conscience that those chapters seem so foreign to me. Like I, I read that and I'm like, and I remember saying to God, God, I, I don't know what this is like, but I want to, I, I want to know this. And in all, I want to be careful here, Okay. Um, in all honesty, my tradition doesn't really allow for some of that. It was easier to say, well, those things have ceased. We'll just not worry about it. But I just don't, re I don't see that in the text. I never have. I'm not some genius or an expert. But as I read the scriptures, I, just, I remember thinking, I long for this. And I remember saying to God, God, I don't know how to get there. I don't know what this looks like in the church, but I want to go there. If that's, where, if, that's, if that's what your spirit can do, God, I'm hungry for that. You know, I, I don't think, and this is just a, a pastoral confession. I haven't even come close to leading us towards that. That was before our church started. We started in 2004. I've had this constant hunger to see more of the presence and power of God. And I just don't know how to get there. Sometimes my hunger in that wanes and fades. Other times it escalates. And I'm not saying that we haven't seen God's power. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just simply saying, I want to see more of it. 
I'm hungry for more of God's presence and power, probably more than I've ever been before. I so deeply desire for our church to to be aware of the manifest and active presence of the Holy Spirit. And I've just not done a really good job of of leading us to that end. I'm not even sure I know how to do that. That's why I don't have an end game in mind because I don't know really what the end game is. (laughs) All I know is when I read some of these things in these epistles, I'm like, God, before I die, I want to see that. I want to see that, God. And maybe I should say I want to see more of that because we've seen God do amazing things, incredible things. I'm not denying or discounting that, but I am admitting to you this morning on the front end of this series on the Holy Spirit, I am hungry. I'm hungry for more of God's presence and power. And that is mediated to us through the Holy Spirit. Now, as I've been wrestling with this, it's kind of resurfaced in the last three or four weeks, to be frank with you. Again, it's, it's always waning and rising. And, but the last three or four weeks, I've just had a resurgence of this hunger. I think it's from the Ephesian prayers, to be frank with you. When I read those prayers where he says, open the eyes of my heart to see the riches of your glorious inheritance. When he says, God, uh, use your spirit to show us your fullness. When he says, you know, God, will you do more than we could ever ask or think? These are right out of scripture. My heart is hungry for that. Like I'm longing to pray that for me, for you. So as I've kind of had a resurgence of this, I have had some guilt. Like maybe I'm just like frustrated. Maybe there's something out there I'm reaching for that I shouldn't be reaching for and it's just carnal and and fleshly. And so probably to the risk, I just got alone with the Lord on, on a few dedicated moments. I remember talking to Julie about it first. She's the best counselor I've got. Um, and she gave me some really good preaching. One of those was you need to get with God. And so I just took some time um, on some set days and just said, God, what's going on in my heart? And I believe the Lord really met me at my point of need. In fact, I'll be this bold with you. I think what happened in those moments, I think if I could use the Bible to explain it, which I think that's the best thing to use, I think God used a word of prophecy in my life. You know, the Bible says in those chapters that prophecy is strengthening, comforting, and encouraging. And in that moment, when I was just pouring my heart out to God and expressing my hunger for more of his presence and power, this phrase came to mind, and I just said, God, I'm, I'm hungry, but I'm not discontent. And at that very moment, God's spirit just seemed to kind of wrap his arms around me and just press on me and say, that's exactly right. And I, I want you to know, Todd, that's good. Be hungry, and I'm glad you're not discontent. Because I'm, I'm thankful what God has done. He is doing. I, I really am. I, I, my feet are set. I have no desire to do anything else, go anywhere. I love you people. I, I love watching God do his work. But I'm going to repeat this again. I don't want to coast. I want to see more. I'm hungry. And then at that very same moment, as God's spirit just seemed to affirm, like, Todd, it's good. I'm glad you're hungry. And I know you're not discontent. We're good. This image came to mind. And in my mind, I began to picture what happens every day when I go home. 
when I go home from work, I want more of Julie and the home she's created. I do. I love what God has done in 32 years of our marriage, the way she's crafted and created a home, the atmosphere she's built, even down to like the meals she makes, the, the, the desserts especially she bakes. Man, I mean, every single thing she does, the way she is, man, it just, it just fits me. I love our home and I love my wife. Now, you have your own home tone, we call it. You have you know, your situation, you love it, that's great. But I begin to have this image of, I, I love that so much that I actually want more of it. And in that moment, God again just met me in my knee. He said, Todd, that's what's happening here. Just as you love your wife and you love your home and you want more of it, you can't wait to get there, you're not discontent. I'm not discontent at all. I don't want to change Julie. I don't want to change our home. I'm not trying to adjust things. I actually love it. But guess what? I actually want more of it as well. And in that moment and in this phrase, I'm hungry but not discontent. And knowing how it relates to even my practical life, God just seemed to meet me at my point of need and say, yeah, you stay hungry because I know you're not discontent. And I'm here. I ran that by the elders, by the way. One morning I said, guys, here's what I think God has been saying to me and speaking to me about. It's not inspired scripture. It's not a predictive word, but it is a word of comfort, strength, and encouragement to my heart from the Holy Spirit. So I tend to think it may have been just a word of prophecy that God gave in a moment some spontaneous information that I so desperately needed to realize that my hunger isn't out of line. And in fact, the truth is, as I thought more about it, the hunger the Holy Spirit's producing is pointing to God and Jesus. We're not trying to garner some kind of manifestation or sign or some kind of create some kind of culture. We're just saying, God, will you lift up Jesus and magnify your name so more people are saved, more disciples are made. It's a sign the Holy Spirit's working because he's always pointing vertically. And in those moments, man, I, I can't tell you the joy that filled my heart and the release of all fear. Like I've got no embarrassment to tell you this. I've got no fear of telling you this. I've got nothing to prove, nothing to lose. I've got no agenda, no end game. I'm just telling you, as we embark on these 10 weeks of the Holy Spirit, I'm hungry for more of his presence and power. Will you join me in not being discontent, but at the same time being ravenously hungry for God? Will you join me? And let's thirst and hunger for God's presence and power. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.